So glad you guys are here with us this morning as we are starting a brand new conversation that we are calling the Sex Talk. And so thanks for coming out for this. I will just say that if you are a guest with us this morning, as Seth had mentioned, uh, we just want to give you a special welcome. Uh, we oftentimes say that the beginning of a new series is the best opportunity to get acquainted with our church. And so we're glad you're able to come out. Uh, some of you, you may not have known this is what we were talking about. And you might be thinking, oh no, what did I get myself um, into? But we're very, very excited about starting this new conversation called the Sex Talk. And as you can just tell from the title, uh, we're going to be spending the next few weeks pretty much just dissecting and talking about the topic of sexuality. And as I said, we're starting an, a new conversation, but really probably the better way to say that is that today we're actually engaging in a conversation that's happening all the time all around us anyway. And uh, I probably don't need to convince you very much just from watching that bumper and living in the culture that we're, we live in right now, that we live in what some people might call, for the lack of a better term, a sexually saturated culture. Um, sex is everywhere, man. Uh, this is a conversation that is being had all around us all the time. Whether you want to engage in this conversation or not, you're exposed to it everywhere you go. And so in our daily lives, walking around in our culture, we are going to find that this is a conversation that's being had, that we are immersed with, that we are exposed to um, all the time. So this afternoon, for example, some of you might go out and go to the grocery store just to get some milk, and you're going to find yourself a Bueller's or a Giant Eagle in the checkout line. You're going to be exposed to this conversation, right? And there's going to be the, the magazine covers that are sexual in nature, and there's the articles, the, you know, the 10 ways to be better in bed, and, and there's the, the news headlines, which are usually... Uh, filled with, uh, with sexual things that are happening in our culture. And there you are. You're, you're immersed in a conversation that's being bump, that's, that is being bombarded on us um, in the culture that we live in. It's a, it's a conversation that's happening everywhere. Um, every time you get on the internet, right, and you check Facebook, you're going to find yourself exposed to that conversation about sexuality. And there's going to be different Facebook posts about different sexual issues, and there's going to be an advertisement column that's going to show up and is going to expose you to sexual material in some way or another. There's no way around it. Even if you're not looking for it, um, you're going to find yourself immersed in this conversation of sexuality. You turn on the news, right? And, and the latest topics, the hot topics, the political hot topics oftentimes revolve around sexual issues. And so once again, you're going to find all types of different opinions and persuasions and thoughts about sexuality. And we're just bombarded with this conversation. And so today, when I say that we are starting a new conversation called the sex talk, we're not really starting anything new at all. Uh, we are jumping in a conversation that's being had all around us all the time. We are in a sexually charged society. Now, the other thing about culture that you guys know, and I, I know as well, is that not only is our culture very loud about sexuality, um, but there's oftentimes a lot of a disagreement about sexuality as well. All types of different opinions and persuasions about this topic. So we live in a sexually confused culture, but it's a very loud culture sexually. This is not, there's nothing subtle about sexuality in the culture that we live in. In fact, I was thinking about this this week, and uh, I was thinking about how, I mean, we all know sex sells, and so oftentimes people will sell products using sexuality. But what I find so amusing I don't know if amusing is the right word. What I find so fascinating is that oftentimes people will sell non-sexual products um, by using sexuality as an apparatus to do that. And so I was, I was reminded of this, this billboard. This is a billboard that I found a picture of. And it just says real big on the billboard, just sex, right? Then look at the tagline under it. Now that we have your attention, eat at Subway. And you're like, what does that even have to do with Subway, right? What are those, how are those things even connected? And, and once again, it's just a demonstration of the fact that this is a conversation that's right in front of you. It's a bold, loud conversation 
there's a lot of confusion around this conversation, all kinds of opinions about what it means to have good sex and what sexual health means and, and should I have sex with multiple people or shouldn't I and premarital sex and postmarital sex and what, and, and there's all these competing voices right now about sexuality. And so all of that leads us to say, how do we navigate through a sexually charged and through a sexually saturated culture? and sexually confused culture. And, and, and here's the thing that might be surprising to some of us, might be for some of us, is that in the midst of this conversation, that God, rather than simply condemning the conversation that's being had about sex, and rather than simply um, silencing himself and, and taking his voice out of this conversation, that biblically speaking, that God actually has a lot that he wants to contribute to this conversation. Now, as I said, that might sound surprising to some of you, but what I mean is this. When you read in the Bible, one of the things that will become pretty clear to you is that God never shies away from the topic of sex. It comes up so frequently and so often. In fact, in some places, it comes up very explicitly on this topic of sex. And all that leads me to believe this, that God is eager for you and I to understand his opinion and his voice on the matter of sexuality. That in the midst of a sexually charged, sexually confused culture where we glamorize sex, we glorify sex, and we idolize sex, God, rather than simply condemning that and then looking at it and silencing himself on the topic, rather eagerly wants to speak into that. And, and, and for some of you, I know that sounds really strange because for some of us, and I know maybe this is you too, maybe you grew up in a situation where you were in a family or you were in a church. I know not everyone grew up in the church, but maybe you were part of a family, you were part of a church where you just never talked about this, never talked about sex, right? For some of us who grew up in a family like that, where, where you just never talked about it. In fact, maybe for you, there was just like that one time, you know, the one time your parents sat you down and they tried to have, you know, the sex talk. And you remember that, right? Because that was like the most awkward thing ever. And they sat down and, and, and you, and you knew where it was going and you were like, Oh no, no, please God, not this, not now. And then your parents said some stuff that you never wanted to hear your parents say. And, and you did not make eye contact. You're just like, I can't look at anybody for at least three days. And and you had the talk. But after you had the talk, for many of us, the way it went is we had the talk and then we never talked about it again, right? That one time. And then, the, then so, you know, you're watching a movie with your family and a sex scene comes up on the screen and everyone in the room just all of a sudden gets real tense and everyone's like, don't move. <laughs> this is the way it was for me, right? I mean, and you're just like, my back of my neck is burning hot. And I, I don't know what to do with my hands. I just have no idea what I should be doing. And, and for some of us, it's just, it was like that growing up. Sex was just something you didn't talk about. And for many of us, if you grew up in the church, maybe you grew up in a church where you never talked about sex either, right? Never talked about the joy and the bliss and the beauty of sex. And you've never talked about the hurt and the regret and the pain of it. Neither side of it was ever approached in your church. In fact, for many of you, maybe you kind of grew up in a church where you just kind of thought, man, this is not something that you talk about. You don't bring the church into the bedroom and you don't bring the bedroom into church. Those things don't go together. They're, in, they're incompatible, right? Which actually you're going to find out is kind of ironic in this conversation because the Bible tells us that sex is actually supposed to help us understand Jesus and the church, which we'll get to that. That might sound really weird to you, but it's the way God designed it. But for some of us, we've been taught, man, you don't combine those two things. Sex and God don't go together. And so the thought of bringing up sexuality in the church, for some of you, quite honestly, this might seem really strange, really awkward, and maybe even a little forbidden. And there might be something in you that's like, is this okay? Because when I grew up, man, we didn't really talk about this stuff in the church. Now, let me just say, I believe genuinely 
that, that the silence in the church on the issue of sex is a tragedy. I believe that with all my heart. And here's why I believe that, for a couple reasons. First off, because it's unbiblical, all right? Bible talks about sex a lot. Bible has some very forthright, straightforward, blunt things to say about sex that many people don't know. And I believe that when the church chooses to be silent on the issue of sex, it's a tragedy, not only because it's unbiblical, because it silences the voice of God on this topic. And you guys know as well as I do, man, we live in, we live in a society right now where this topic is so practical, isn't it? This is where we live, man. All of us right now are trying to figure out ourselves sexually. We're trying to figure out the meaning of sex, why it is that we're created the way that we are. All of us, my guesses in this room, are experiencing sexual, bro- sexual brokenness to some extent or another. And oftentimes we're taught, man, this is stuff you just don't bring up in the church. It has nothing to do with God and you don't bring up. And I think it's a tragedy. Because when we choose to not speak about this, we're silencing the voice of God on this matter. And like I said, this is such a loud conversation that's happening all around us. There are so many competing voices in this conversation. Why would we willingly forfeit the voice of God in the midst of the conversation about sex? And so because of that, we believe here at Grace Church, we should talk about sex and we should talk about it often. That it's something that the Bible talks about and we believe in the full counsel of the Bible, the word of God. And so we want to see what God says about sexuality. And so for that reason, what we're going to do in this series, just kind of let you know where we're going. In this series, what our hope and our aim is, is that we want to invite the voice of God into our sexuality. That's what we want to do. The conversation is already happening, right? It's all around us. And so what if we just said, hey, let's invite the voice of God into this conversation and see what he has to say as it relates to things regarding sex. And so that's what our hope and our aim is in this series. Now, because that is our hope and aim, I probably just need to say a few things just to set some ground rules, okay? So one of the things I just want to mention is because we want to hear God's voice in this series, that means that this series is not Tony's opinions about sex. That's not what this is. Nor is this Grace Church's uh, particular position on sex. That's not exactly what we're talking about. With, the, with biblical integrity, what we want to do with a clear conscience is we want to look at the Bible and we want to say, no, what is, what is God through the Bible? What does he say about sex and how can we understand that? Now, because we're going to be doing that, I'm just going to warn you that at some point it's going to get really blunt and it's going to be very forthright. And, and some of you are going to be uncomfortable with that, but I'm just going to tell you, I think that's okay. And the reason that that's okay is because the Bible... It's very blunt and it's very forthright and in some places very explicit about this topic. And so we're not going to pull any punches, all right? And we're going to look at what the Bible teaches about this. The other thing I'll say about that is this week is an introduction, all right? So if at the end of our time together, you're like, oh, I feel like, you know, I feel like I'm, um, I'm unsatisfied. I feel like I'm, I'm not, um, I'm trying to pick my words wisely because I don't want, I know that I'm going to say a sexual innuendo on accident. But you're going to, at the end, you, you know, you might be like, I, I don't feel like I'm, I have, the answers that I'm looking for. And so, um, and so that's okay because this is an intro. And in the weeks to come, our hope is that maybe we can just get the ball rolling as it relates to this conversation about sexuality. The third thing I'll say is this, is that if you're in this room today and you either brought your kids to church or you brought your parents to church today, um, look, we just need to be straight about this, all right? For if you're a parent and your kid is with you, this may, this may be a little awkward. And if you're a kid and your parents here, this will be awkward, all right? You're just going to be like, no eye contact. 
you know, you keep your arms folded. Don't accidentally nudge or touch anybody. And listen, that's okay, all right? We just have to embrace the awkwardness. It's fine. We're used to that, right? But I, I do want to just say one quick thing on this, and I think this is important, is I, I just hope, um, and I want to challenge you, that, that if you're parents and you have kids with you, that this conversation doesn't stay in this room. Now, we hope that this would be an ongoing conversation that can happen between you and your family. And one of the things that we, we actually strongly encourage parents to do is we encourage parents to talk about sex with their kids early and often. And again, the reason, the reason is just this. It's, it's not because we, we want you to just feel awkward all the time. It really is because we believe this is a conversation that's happening all the time. And God has some stuff to say about it. And it needs to be not just a talk. It actually does need to be an ongoing conversation, something that you could talk about um, often and early. And so I know that if you're a parent, if you're anything like me, I need all the help I can get, and especially on this topic. And so Seth had mentioned that we have some resources out in our bookstore, and you can also access them on our website. And some of the resources that we have talk about how parents can talk to their kids about sex. Great resources. Some of them my wife and I use, and it's been very, very, very helpful. And I just want to give you an assist, all right, because we all need it when it comes to this, um, to this topic. So having said all of that, we're about to jump in. Why don't we start by just asking God to help us um, as we uh, engage in this conversation? And particularly, maybe you want to ask God to help me as I try to present this. All right, so let's do that. Well, God, we just, um, man, we want to say thank you. All good things come from you. Every good and perfect gift is from you. And God, sex is from you. And it's awesome, and it's beautiful, and you've made it. And Lord, we live in a culture where um, there's so many competing voices about this issue that Lord, it's hard to, to stay oriented. And so Father, I do pray that, I pray for your voice. I ask that we'd hear from you. <clears throat> you would teach us, God, help us understand how to navigate through our own sexuality. And so Father, I pray uh, that as we approach this topic, that you would give us grace. I pray that you give us clarity. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you start a conversation about the Bible and sex, where do you start? Uh, well, the place you start is actually at the origins of sex. And that's in the very, very, very beginning, Genesis chapter 2. So if you guys have your Bibles, if you grab them with me just for a moment, we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 2. And this is going to be the passage that we're going to be kind of basing the whole conversation today in. So Genesis chapter 2. Um, you can go ahead and flip there. And if you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, that's not a problem. Uh, we should have some Bibles out there for you. And you're going to find Genesis chapter 2 on page 2. So you can go ahead and get there. And as you're flipping to Genesis chapter 2, let me just give you a small amount of background uh, to kind of help us in this. So some of you may know Genesis 1 and 2, the first two chapters of the entire Bible, are what is called the creation account. And basically what that means is this. The Genesis 1 and 2 is telling us the, the way in which God created all things. And so the Bible explains to us that God created the universe, God created the earth, God created the, the sea, he created the land, plants, animals, mankind. And the Bible tells us in Genesis 1 and 2 that when God originally created everything, that it was created good. And so it wasn't until Genesis chapter 3 that corruption and sin and evil entered the world. And so when God first created things, he created them in a perfect world where everything was good. And you see this when you read the creation account. So God creates something and he declares it is good. He creates the earth. He says it's good. He creates the, the sky. He says it's good. He creates the water. He says it's good. He creates the animals. He says it's good. He creates man. He says it's good. 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 Perfect world. 
What we find when we get to Genesis chapter 2 is that in this perfect world that God has created, for the very first time, he looks at something in creation and he says that it is not good. And what is that? Well, that's where we're going to start. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Check it out. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. And so let's just pause there. So again, God has been creating everything and every step, every progressive step along the way, God looks at it and he says it's good. For the very first time before sin has entered the world, God looks at something and says, hey, that's not good. And what is it that God says is not good? He says, it's not good that that guy is by himself. To which all men said, yeah, that's right. It's not good that we're by ourselves. First off, we can't find anything, even if it's right in front of us, right? Uh, we are incomplete. And, and the Bible says that God saw man was, was, it was not good that he was alone. And why was it not good? Well, I think the text gives us indication that the reason that it was not good is because man was incomplete. I want you to notice real quick what it says in verse 18. It says, the Lord said, it's not good for the man to be alone. He said, I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, let me just talk about that little phrase. I will make a helper suitable. Now, that might seem, I think in our culture, we might misread that a little bit uh, because when we think about a helper, we tend to think of like an assistant, right? You tend to think of like despicable me and the minions, like they're, they're helpers. So God created like a little helper for God. Is that what's going on? And that's really not the picture that God is painting here in the book of Genesis. When you take that idea of suitable helper and you pull it back in the original language and you compare it with other places it's used in the Bible, you come to realize that what's really meant by that term is that this is someone who's going to complete what's lacking. So God looks at man, he says, it's not good for man to be alone. Why not? He's lacking some stuff. He's missing some stuff emotionally. He's missing some stuff spiritually. He's missing some stuff physically. He's incomplete, right? And so God says, that's not a good thing. And so what does God do about it? Well, God remedies that. Look what happens in verse 21. Just jump down with me. Verse 21. But for Adam, um, I'm sorry, so, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then he closed up the place of the flesh. Then the Lord God made the woman from the rib that he had made out of the man and he brought her to the man. So the Bible says, God saw it was not good that Adam was alone and so he created woman. Now something fascinating, just to mention on that, is when God creates animals and when God creates man, the Bible tells us the way that he does that is by the earth of the ground. He creates Adam from dust. He creates um, the animals from dust. Woman is the only one who's not made in that way, right? This is probably why girls are so clean. And, and she's, she is made out of man. And part of this is indicating God is trying to let us know that there's something uniquely special about the relationship between man and wife, that there is a unity that runs very deep naturally in that relationship, right? And then I love this. Check this out. God brings Eve to Adam, brings the woman to Adam. Adam's response is classic. This is so cool. Check it out. Verse 23, the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Now, I love this response. We've actually talked about this before, and I, I'll tell you why I love it so much. Um, you might notice in your Bible that it's in, it, there's an indentation there, 
right? You notice that there, that little, that little phrase almost looks like it's a separate thing altogether. Why is that? Well, here's why. Um, all commentators agree on this, that when you read these words that Adam says when he meets um, Eve, um, that they are words that are used, that they use rhyme, they use meter, right? What is that? That's a song. That's what that is. So you see what's going on here, right? God creates Eve, and he introduces him, her to Adam. And Adam's first response is to break into spontaneous love song, right? He's like, I got to write a song about this, man. Oh, baby, baby, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, you know? I don't know if these are great lyrics or not, but this is like, this is a song that he writes and he's compelled. And here's the first of millions of love songs that are to come. As a result, 80% of the songs that you listen to on the radio are about this relationship the romantic relationship between men and women. It doesn't even matter the genre. They're going to talk about it in different ways. Like country is going to add trucks and it's going to add dogs and it's going to add beer in America, right? But, but all these, these genres are going to speak about this. It's what we sing about. It's inside of us to sing about this because Adam did. So Adam sings. Now check this out. This is cool. Verse 24. That is why, the Bible says, a man will leave his father and mother and he will be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now, what are these verses about? This seems a little strange. Well, let me, let me help break it down a little bit. Notice it says, that is why, some of you have translations, it says, for this reason, for this reason, a man's gonna leave his father and mother and he's going to be united to his wife. Now, the word united it's a really good little word. Some of you have translations that says, Adam will leave his father and mother and he will cleave to his wife. That might even seem stranger. What does that mean to cleave? Does that mean you just run over and hug somebody really hard? Is that what's going on here? Well, the word cleave, when you look it up in the Hebrew language, it literally means to be glued together. That's the picture that the Bible gives us. Now, in the other places in the Old Testament, when it uses this same word, what it's referring to is a covenant. It's referring to a commitment. And so what is this? I'll tell you what this is. This is the first wedding. And part of it we know, not just because of the word cleave, but also because notice the woman is now his wife. So this is the first in the beginning, Genesis chapter two, God made marriage. Marriage is not anthropological. It doesn't come from humans. It's theological. It comes from God. And God created marriage. And what happens inside of this covenant of marriage. Well, look at the next part. They became one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now, what's that about? Well, you don't got to be a commentator to figure that out, right? They became one flesh. They were both naked and they felt no shame. That's sex. It's talking about sex, right? And I love this because what it's telling us is in the beginning, there was sex. That sex existed before sin and corruption ever came into the world, that God is the one who created sexuality. Now, the reason that I know that this passage is about marriage and sex, and those two things, by the way, in the Bible, whenever you talk about God's design for sexuality, those are inseparable, marriage and sex. And we'll talk about that some more in the series. But one of the reasons that I know that this passage is about marriage and sexuality is because, not only because of the language that's used, but also because the New Testament authors, whenever they talk about sex and whenever they talk about marriage, guess which passage they go to? This one. So Jesus People are asking him questions about divorce and marriage and sex. And guess what he says? He says, well, why don't we go back to Genesis chapter two? 
And let's take a look at how it was first designed in the beginning. So Jesus recognized that this was about marriage and sex. The Apostle Paul, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and also in Ephesians chapter 5, he's talking about issues of marriage and sexuality. Guess which passage he refers to? Genesis chapter 2. And so this is the foundation of sexuality and, of, and, and, and according to what the Bible teaches. Now, this is very foundational. And this might seem like a few simple little verses, but I think that the, the, the indications of what this means about sexuality are profound. And so let me just tell you what this means, what this passage teaches us about sex. I'll tell you four things that this passage reveals to us about sex. So here's the first one. If you're taking notes, you might want to jot this down. The first thing about sex that's revealed in this passage is that sex comes from God. Sex comes from God. That is to say it this way. Sex was created by God on purpose. It was his idea. And it's a good idea. But it was his idea. Sex is God's idea. All right? And that means this, that when God made it, he's not embarrassed about it. God is not embarrassed about this. He made it. God knows it feels good. It means, that, it means that it wasn't an accident. God wasn't like, oh, I made man and woman, and then one day he's up in heaven. He's like, hey, what are they doing down there? You know? You guys wrestling? You know, that's not what he, it was on purpose. He's like, that's, that's right. That's what I, it's, that's good. That's right. I made it that way. God created sexuality, and that means that God made it, he made it good. He made it for a good reason, and, and, and we need to understand that. God Sex comes from God. It's something that stems from him. In fact, I oftentimes wonder what it must have been like in creation. I imagine the angels were probably all around God when he was making the earth and the universe and everything. And they probably thought it was the most amazing thing. And I guess for me, I kind of picture it happening like this. I imagine God's got the angels around him and he's like, check this out, you know, and he makes the world. And the angels are like, oh God, that is so cool. You are so smart. You are so creative. And then God's like, you think that's cool? Check this out, you know, and so he makes the galaxies. He makes the universe and, and all, everything that we see in the cosmos. And I imagine the angels are like, oh, God, that is so cool. So big. You're so infinitely smart. What an incredible design that you made. And then I imagine, I imagine that God's like, you think that's cool? Watch this. And he gets some dirt. He starts making some animals, you know. And I imagine the angels are like, whoa, that is crazy. They have life. Look at those things. Look at the jellyfish. He's weird, you know. Look at the ostrich. Big, dumb bird. Runs real fast. That's cool, God. We like that. You know, that's awesome. And I imagine just watching that happen. And then God's like, you think that's something? I got something else. And he comes over here. He starts making man. And I imagine the angels saw it and they were like, oh, man. God's like, exactly, you know. And, and, and they were like, that one looks like you, God. That one looks like you. He's made in your image. God's like, that's pretty cool. He's like, you think that's cool. Watch this. And he makes Eve, makes the woman. And at that point, the angels are probably like, oh, snap. God, you totally outdid yourself on that. It's awesome. And then God's like, you think that's cool? Now watch this. And God creates marriage and God creates sex. And I imagine at that point, the angels are probably like, oh, we wish we were human. That is so cool. Right? And, and so God created it. The Bible says it comes from God. Sex comes from God. And you notice this is before sin enters the world, which means that sex is not a product of human dysfunction. It's not a product of wickedness and evil. It's something that comes from God. And that brings me to my second observation about sex. That the Bible tells us that's this. Sex is good. Sex is good. Now, we don't do this in church, but that's a good spot for an Amen. Sex is good. Amen, right? Yeah. 
And, and I'm just telling you, God created everything and he created it good. You see that in Genesis 1 and 2. A perfect world, God creates, it's good, it's good, it's good. You know what God says after he creates man and woman, which includes marriage and sexuality? Guess what God says then? Very good. This is very good. This is awesome, right? And so, look, sex is good. The official stance of Christianity, it's not that God hates sex. It's that God loves it. It's that sex is in its origins, from its very creation, a good thing, an awesome thing that comes from God, and it's intended to be good. So let's just be clear on this, all right? The official stance of Grace Church is that we love sex, all right? I love sex, just going to tell it to you straight, all right? We at Grace Church really love sex. In fact, I hope that as a result of this series that nine months down the road, our nursery has doubled in size because I think we should practice what we preach, amen? So we need to do that, okay? We think sex is real good. Now, now some people, I know if you kind of grew up in the church and stuff, you might be like, whoa, whoa, now hold on a second. Let's not get too carried away here. The reason that God made sex is for procreation, okay? Not for recreation, and so we need, to, we need to stick to that. It's all business and no pleasure, right? That's what God's intent for sex is. And I'm just telling you, if that's your position, I don't know what Bible you're reading. That is not a biblical concept at all. You read other passages in Scripture about sex inside of marriage, and you see that it is playful, it is fun, it is pleasurable, and God has designed it that way. Let me just give you a couple examples. Proverbs chapter 5. Solomon is writing to his son. Talk about an awkward conversation. And here's what he says to his son. Look at this in Proverbs chapter 5. He says, may your fountain be blessed, which by the way, that's a reference to sex. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. Now look at this. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Some people say sex is for procreation. But Solomon says, may her breasts satisfy you always. Now listen, if you think sex is for procreation, then what's that all about? That's not how those things work. That's not what those are for, right? And, and so what you see is Solomon is telling his son, no, no, it's a great thing to enjoy this. It's a pleasurable thing. You read the book of Song of Solomon, it's, it's a couple inside of the context of marriage, and you see a playfulness. You see exploration. There's use of aphrodisiacs. There's sex in multiple locations. There's sex outside. Uh, you see experimentation. You see foreplay. All of these things are happening in the book of Song of Solomon. There's actually a place in the book of Song of Solomon where Solomon says to his lover, he says almost the same thing we see in Proverbs. He says, your breasts are like two little baby fuzzy fawns. To which many of you women, women think, that's not a very endearing thing. I don't think I want to... I don't think I want that to be likened to that. Why is that? Well, commentators agree that the reason that he says that is because, well, think about it this way. Whenever you see fuzzy, little, cute animals, what do you want to do? You want to pet them, right? Some of you are like, it's hunting season. I want to shoot them. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's not what you want to do. You want to pet them, right? And, uh, and man, it's getting hot in here, right? But, but I, what I'm saying is the Bible is explicit about this. God takes no shame in this topic, and he knows it's pleasurable. He knows it's enjoyable. And listen, the desires that you have sexually are not a forbidden thing. God has put those in you, man. Now, now they can become corrupted, but in, its, in their very original design and state, God made them to be good. Sex is good. And God made it to be that way. That brings me to my third point. Here's my third point that I want to make. That I think this passage teaches about sex is that sex has a design. 
Sex has a design. If Genesis 2 tells us that God created all things in a pre-sin world, in a perfect world, then, then the argument goes like this. That if God created everything and he created it with a divine purpose in mind, then we can reasonably conclude that when God made sex, that he had a, des- a divine purpose in mind when he made it. He made it for a very deliberate reason. It was a purpose that he had in mind when he made it. Um, Dr. Paul David Tripp, um, he wrote a book that's actually one of the resources that's in our bookstore. Awesome book on sex, by the way. And he said this, I'll just quote him. He said, if I go into my workroom, I don't start sawing and nailing wood hoping that it's going to turn into something. No, I go in with a purpose and a design with a reason. And then he says, everything in God's creation has a purpose. And what Paul David Tripp is saying is that when I go into my workroom to make something, I don't just go in and start nailing stuff together and just figuring out what it's going to be. I go in with a purpose in mind and I create that thing according to the purpose that I have in mind. Now, God, the Bible tells us in Genesis 1 and 2, is the creator. And if he's the creator and we are the created, that means that everything that God has created has a purpose, a divine purpose that God has in mind. And that means that sex is designed, that there is a purpose in which God made that with. And that means that the question that we should be primarily concerned with is not, what do I think about sex? What is my opinion about sex? It should not be, what is the culture's opinion on sex? What's the popular view on sex? The real issue we should be concerned with is, no, what is God's design for it? Because he's the creator, so why did he make it? What, was he, what did he have in mind when he created this? And that's what we need to concern ourselves with. And it also means this. It means that sex is not an issue of preference. It's not an issue of preference. It's an issue of design. You're like, what do you mean by that? Well, think about it in, in a dietary way. Let me just use a different example. So think about nutrition for a minute. Is it, it is true that we, all of us as human beings, that there are certain foods that we can eat that lead to greater nutrition and greater health. And that's not an issue of preference. It's an issue of design, right? And so I could eat vegetables and I could eat fruits and I could eat low fat and low carbs. And that's going to that's gonna bring me to a place of lower cholesterol, lower fat, more healthy lifestyle, right? And why is that? It's because it's an issue of design. It's the way God created our bodies for whatever reason. Not an issue of preference. It's not an issue of discrimination. None of those things. It's an issue of design. Now, imagine I came to you And I just said, well, you know, I know that for you, you think that like, you know, eating healthy is going to make your cholesterol go down and you're going to lose weight if you stop eating fatty foods. But I just, I I think for me, it's different. It's just different for me. I have a different preference. Like, what's your preference? I'm like, I think I can eat Twinkies all the time, eat hamburgers. I think that's going to lead to greater health for me. Now, you're going to look at me. What are you going to tell me? You're going to say, that's not how that works, dude. Um, If you eat Twinkies every day, uh, you'll be dead in 10 days guaranteed. And then it's going to take a thousand years for your body to decompose because the preservatives that are in it, right? Now, what am I going to say to you? Am I going to be like, oh, how restrictive you are, right? I can't believe you would say that. That's my preference. It's not an issue of preference. It's an issue of design. God made us a certain way. and, And because sex is something that God created, that means he has a design in mind. And that means that there are certain ways in which God intends for sex to be used and there are certain ways in which he doesn't. And, and it's not a matter of preference. See, we live in a sexually relativistic culture that says, hey, however you define sex is good for you. However you want to have it is fine. Ho- however you want to have it, with whomever you want to have it, when you want to have it, it's all up to you. And if it's good for you, it's good for you. And it's good for me, it's good for me. And so maybe for you, you define sexual freedom as being able to have many partners. 
sexual partners, as, as many as you can. If that's the case for you, then that's fine. That's good because that's going to lead to sexual health for you. But for me, I don't want to do that. I just want to have one partner. I want to save it for marriage. I want to, and that's just my, that's just my opinion on the matter. And you know, we're, no one's better than the other one. And we all just, you know, it's not a matter of preference. It's a matter of design, something that God has created. And because of that, because it's a matter of design, that leads me to my final point, and then we'll be done. Here's the fourth point that I want to make that I think this passage reveals to us about sex. And that's this. It's that sex is extremely powerful. Sex is extremely powerful. The Bible says it this way in Genesis chapter 2. It says, the Lord God made man, made woman, and then the man left his father and mother, and he was united to his wife, and the two became one flesh. And what the Bible points to in this passage and many others is that sex is so powerful and it's so unifying that it has the ability to take two people and unite them in such a strong way that the Bible now declares that they are one. Emotionally, physically, spiritually, sex is unbelievably powerful. And many of you already know this. And I think that all of us I think all of us inherently know that sex is a very, very, very powerful thing. But there's a lot of people in our culture that argue and they say, well, no, sex is just a physical thing. That's all it is. You know, you get together and you have a meal with a friend. You get together, you watch a movie, you get together, you have some sex. That's just the way it is. It's just another activity, right? No big deal. Why do we make a big deal about this thing? And the reality is all of us know that's not true. Sex is not just some other, it's not just like playing a game of tag, right? In some ways, it kind of is, but it's a little different than that. It includes much more than that, right? And and listen, this is not just something the Bible teaches. This is something that psychologists and that neuroscientists and scientists are discovering more and more and more. And I'm just not even talking about Christians. I'm talking about the secular world is saying there is something categorically different about the act of sex. I was um, reading a bunch of different articles about psychology and about neuroscience, and I, I'm not going to share all of them with you because I didn't understand half of them, and I'm, this isn't my field, so I, I, I have no authority in this matter. But I just want to explain to you, there's a couple um, different articles that I read from neuro- neuroscientists that described the brain activity that happens when a person engages in sex. And what neuroscientists are saying is they're saying, we don't understand it. Sex is categorically different than anything else. And so one neuroscientist in an article written in 2009 in the, it's in the Journal of Sexual Medicine, he wrote an article called The Pathways of Sexual Desire. And in that article, he basically um, kind of summarized that neurologists believe that the brain is basically divided into three different parts. Uh, there is the reptilian um, part of your brain, there's the limbic part of your brain, and there's the cortical portion of your brain. And each one of those portions operates different functions. So the reptilian portion of your brain is instinct, right? That's, that's sex and food and desire. All of those things um, neuroscientists would say are activated in that portion of our brain. The limbic part of our brain, portion of our brain, is emotions and memories. That's where we process things emotionally. That's where nostalgia comes from. They would also say that the cortical aspect of our brain, that third part, is creativity, imagination, abstract, abstract thinking. All those things come from that part of the brain. And what he concludes is this, is he says sex involves all three parts. When a person engages in sex, their whole mind is in. All three aspects, past experiences, desires, and, and, uh, and, and the instinct of a person, imagination and creativity, it's all working together. They're like, there's nothing like it, it's weird. 
something wild happen in your brain when you're engaged in the act of sex. Uh, another neuroscientist was talking about something similar. Um, he actually wrote an article. His name is Dr. Joseph Schrand of Harvard Medical School. And he said this. I thought this was great. He said, we use the word intoxicating when we talk about sexuality and romance. And he said, that's actually a pretty accurate word. Because when a person engages in sexual intercourse at the point of orgasm, uh, neurologists tell us that there is a flood of chemicals and hormones that flood over the brain that include things like dopamine. The dopamine, of course, is a neurotransmitter associated with excitement, reward, desire, pleasure, and in some cases, addiction. And he says, but there's also oxytocin involved. And oxytocin is what they call the cuddle hormone. Oxytocin creates feelings of warmth, security, bonding, and trust. And what he's saying is, man, when you, when you engage in sex with somebody, something's going on in your mind. What is that? Fly? Get out of here. This talk's not for you. And uh, something is going on in your brain. Something is going on in your mind in a powerful way. And all I'm saying is this. What psychologists and what neurologists are saying, I believe, is they're just validating what God says. When he says, this is powerful, man. And there is something uniting and something about this. It's not just physical. It's emotional. It's relational. It's spiritual. Something's going on with sex. A very, very, very powerful thing. And you know what? God loves that. God made it that way. And he knows that it's powerful. And he likes that it's powerful because that's how he designed it to be. But here's the reality. And we all know this. The more powerful something is, the more dangerous it can be when it's misused. Right, true or false? The more powerful something is, the more dangerous it is when it's misused. Some of, some of you have heard this analogy before. It's been used, but you think of fire. Fire is unbelievably powerful, but it's awesome. And put in a fireplace, man, it can warm the home. It can bring joy to a home. It can actually facilitate community, get around the fire. You take that fire out of the fireplace, it's destructive. It can destroy everything. Think about nuclear energy. Nuclear energy can power a city or it can level a city. It all depends on how you use it. The more powerful something is, the more dangerous it is when it's misused. Now, here's where people begin to misunderstand Christianity. I just want to be clear on this. A lot of people think of Christianity and they think, well, Christians, man, those guys, they just think that God hates sex and they're anti-sex and they're repressive with sex and we want to be liberated in our sexuality. We don't want to go back to the slavery of religion and sex. They say that, and a lot of times people say that because there's a lot of verses in the Bible that tell us that God disapproves of many sexual, sexual activities. So you read in passages where it says, like, God is, God is angry at the sexually immoral, that God is angry about practicing sex in this way, that God is hurt, that he's frustrated when we do sex this way. A bunch of passages where the Apostle Paul says, don't do this sexually, don't do that sexually, stop doing this sexually. Read the whole book of 1 Corinthians. It's like the the Christian's gone wild, man. They're nuts with sex. And God comes in, and Paul comes in, he says, you guys need to cut that out, man. Stop that. And sometimes we can look at verses like that and we get confused. Well, now, wait a minute. I thought God was all about sex. I thought God loved sex. I thought sex was good. Wasn't there passages you just talked about where it said, like, sex is awesome? And for the person that's not real familiar with the Bible, it could be confusing. Because God loves sex and sex is good. And yet at the same time, there's a bunch of passages where it tells us that God is angry about certain things that related to sex. Now, why is that? Well, well, let me add some clarity to that real quick. Whenever the Bible talks about God's anger and hurt and frustration around sexuality, it always uses this term, sexual immorality. And the term sexual immorality comes from the Greek word pornea. The Greek word pornea is where we get our English word. I'm sure you guys all know. Pornography, right? And what is it talking about when it's talking about sexual immorality? Is it talking about pornography? Not just pornography. 
Sexual immorality, pornea, in the larger scale, is referring to any sexual activity that is dissociated from the marriage covenant. And that includes extramarital, that includes premarital, that includes a bunch of different things um, that are not inside of the context of a marriage relationship. And so the Bible would look at that and say God's emotions towards that oftentimes are he, he becomes frustrated, hurt, and angry. Now, why is that? Is that because God hates sex? No, no, no. It's not because God hates sex. It's because, listen, God hates the misuse of sex. It's so powerful. And the more powerful something is, the more destructive it can be when it's misused. God loves sex. God hates the misuse of it. Uh, we were talking about this as a staff <laughs> a couple weeks ago, and uh, we were talking about this idea, the more powerful something is, the more, the more dangerous it is when it's misused. And one of the guys on our staff showed me this video, and it was so funny and disturbing at the same time. I was like, I have to show you this because it's just great. And uh, I just want to show you this video real quick. It's called Chainsaw on a Rope. And so I'm sure you kind of see where this is going. But why don't we just check this out, and then I think you're going to see where I'm going with it in just a second. So watch this video. How y'all doing? Steve McGranahan here, world's strongest redneck. You remember last year I did lawnmower on a stick to do my hedges? Well, this year I came up with an even better idea. People say I live dangerous all the time doing crazy stuff. That's because I live on the hedge. <laughs> Anyhow, check it out. Don't do this at home because it's really, really dangerous and really, really stupid. Check it out. Cut pretty good, didn't it? Steve McGranahan, world's strongest redneck. Playing with my chainsaw on the rope. Look at that. Pretty work right there. Steve McGranahan, world's strongest redneck. Chainsaw on the rope. Bye. Chainsaw on a rope. How many of you guys, when you watch that, just cringe the whole time? I remember we were watching it as a staff. And, of course, it's funny because it's, you know, the world's strongest redneck or whatever. And we're kind of laughing at it. When he started swinging that chainsaw around, everyone in the room was like, oh, no, no, no. Don't do that. That's so dumb. That's so stupid. You know? And of course, we laughed about it. It's kind of funny. But I thought about it some later, and I thought to myself, what if that was one of my kids doing that? Or what if that was one of you guys? Like, what if, what if one of us was doing that? I thought about it, man, you know, I would have such a, such a mixture of emotions if I saw my son doing that. It would be a mixture of terror. Oh my gosh, stop doing that. You're going to hurt yourself. I love you too. Don't do that. I would be um, concerned, to say the least. I'd say, we, gotta, we need to talk about that. I would be angry. I'd be mad. 
I'd be like, what are you doing, right? When we read about God's emotions, about sexual immorality, the emotions that God oftentimes portrays are concern, um, hurt, anger. Why is that? Here's why. God is our heavenly father, right? And, and God doesn't hate sex. He loves sex, all right? In fact, God loves sex more than anyone in this room. He made it. He hates the misuse of it. It hurts him. It pains him. Not because he hates you. It's actually because he loves you. That's why. Some of you, I could, I could tell you, um, I could say, hey, you know what? I, I hate drunk driving. Hate it. And you're not going to be like, what, dude? You hate, what, you hate cars now? Is that it? You're anti-car? No, no, no. I don't hate cars. I hate the misuse of them, right? I might be like, you know what I hate? I hate child abuse. And you guys might be like, what's up now? You're anti-kid, huh? What's with that? I'm not anti, no, I'm not anti-kid. I love kids. That's why I hate the abuse of them. You see, when the Bible talks about God's view on sex, sometimes we look at it, we say, well, God just hates sex. No, he doesn't. He loves it. It's good. He hates the misuse of it because it hurts us. It causes pain in our lives. We can hurt ourselves and we can hurt others. Very, very, just sex is so powerful. Listen, some of us in this room, when I say us, some of us in this room, we know that. We know that. Why is it that some of the biggest regrets that we have in this life are, are related to sexual issues? Why is that? Because this is so powerful. It's so powerful. Why is it that if you grew up and you were abused as a child sexually, that there is something categorically different about that? Why is it that there is so much pain and humiliation and psychological damage around that, that one? Someone could have stole something from you when you were a kid and that, yeah, they, they did something wrong, but that doesn't affect you the same as if someone abused you sexually when you were a child. It's different. Why? Because it's powerful. Sex is so powerful. Why is it that if you're a person today and you've been raped and, and that's it, that there is, there is embarrassment and shame and guilt associated around that in a way that, that is categorically different. Why is that? Because sex is so unbelievably powerful. And God knows that. And God made it that way. And God loves it. But he hates the misuse of it. Because the more powerful something is, the more harmful it can be when it's misused. And so, so let me just say this, and, and I'll close this up here in a second, but I think it's probably, it's probably good for me to mention this. Some of you right now, as I'm talking about this, you, you may already be thinking about your past and experiences that you've had, and you might be thinking to yourself, man, I have royally screwed up in this area. I've made sexual mistakes. I've sexually broken. And man, is there any hope for me? Like, is this series, are you just going to, is this going to be a finger wagging series? And you're just going to tell me that I did it all wrong and that's it. And listen, I just got to tell you, we're going to get into this in a few weeks and you got to come back because it's going to be awesome on week three. We're going to talk all about this, but let me give you a little spoiler, okay? All of us are sexually broken people. That's what happens in Genesis chapter three. But the good news is God loves fixing broken stuff and God will redeem and will renew and he wants to come into this area of our life and he wants to speak into it in a fresh way. And I'm just telling you, man, there is freedom here. There is freedom for you, regardless of where you've been. And I want to show that to you, all right? I just want to let you know that's coming. But I just want to close with this, okay? I want to close with one question, 
and then I want to close with one challenge, and then we're finished. And I'll ask the band to come up when I do this, but let me just give you one question, and I'll give you one challenge for everyone in the room, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you believe in the Bible or you don't. Here's the question that I want you just to go away simply this week and think about. Here it is. The question I want you to think about is this. If you were misusing sex, would you want to know? If you were misusing sexuality, would you want to know that? Would you want to know? Because my guess is that everyone in this room is probably thinking, well, sure, yeah, totally. Like, I don't think anyone in this room is like, I really want to misuse sex. I want to make a lot of big mistakes, and I want to live with regrets for the rest of my life. That's my plan, right? No one's saying that. And if you are saying that, I'm just going to tell you, you don't like, you're not going to like this series very much. But my guess is most of us are saying, no, we want to do it right. We're actually trying to do it right. I think every single one of us is saying, I want to live my sexuality in a responsible way. And I want to live in a way that's liberating and freeing. And I want to experience joy in sex. I actually want a really healthy sex life. And I, also, I want to argue, I think God wants you to have a good and healthy sex life too. And so I just want you to, 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 to just entertain this question. If you were misusing your sex, would you want to know? Would you want to know? And, and here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you to come back and listen to this conversation. Now, you might be a person that says, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in that. I think Christianity is so regressive about sex and so outdated about sex. And, and we're so much more advanced now sexually as a culture. We don't need to listen to it anymore. I just want to encourage you. How about this? I just want to challenge you. How about you just hear us out? Because I know that if you're a person that's grown up in the church and maybe you're not a Christian and maybe you're not into the whole God thing, you have heard Christians say things like sex inside of marriage is God's design, sex out of marriage is not good, premarital sex is not good, all these kind of, you've heard all of these messages about that, but maybe no one ever told you why sex inside of marriage is God's design. So would you just come back and listen and hear? Because there's all these other voices anyway, so why not listen to this voice, to the voice of God through the Bible. For some of us, I want to challenge you to come back too, because you know, just by saying that sex and marriage uh, is God's design doesn't mean that the moment you get married, you got this figured out. It's not true. Many of us right now are in our marriage and we are misusing sex. We are sexually broken people. There's guilt. There, there's, there's seasons of sexual unhealth. And I'm just saying, I believe that God wants to lead us in our marriages to healthy sex. I think that's God's desire for us. Would you be willing to be open that maybe, just maybe, I have brokenness in this area and that God can speak into this. Would you be willing just to hear the rest of this conversation? And then here's my challenge, my final challenge for everyone in the room. I double dog dare you to do this. I dare you to pray right now in this moment. Would you pray, God, I'm inviting you into my sexuality. I want to, I want to, I want to be open to you in this area of my life, which is so, and for some of you, you're like, that sounds so weird, dude. Those two things do not go together. Sex and God, they're never intended to be together. And I'm just telling you, when you invite God in this area of life, I believe you're gonna find power that you didn't know was available. Power for freedom and healing in the broken places and power for, for joy and fulfillment in the way that God has designed it. And so I wanna challenge you to come back as we engage in this conversation. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, I just want to say thank you for sex. Thank you for sex. Thank you. It's awesome. It's great. It's wonderful. And Lord, you designed it for, with a purpose in mind. You have a reason behind it. And Father, I pray that rather than just being confused by that statement, that you would help us to pursue the answer to that. Uh, because 
God, I, I do believe that this is an, an area where your voice has been silenced. So Lord, I pray that you would speak loudly, that you would speak clearly to us, that you would redeem so many things about this issue that have been broken and have been, um, have been disillusioned and have been polluted. Help us, Father. Lord, right now, we want to ask you, we want to invite you into our sexuality. We want to ask you that you would define us and direct us in this area. We want to ask you that you would heal the broken things and you would lead us to a place of unbelievable health and fulfillment in this area of our lives. And so, Father, we just want to surrender this to you and ask you and invite you in on our sexuality. God, thank you for the way that you've created us. Thank you for this. But we do know sex is so powerful, unbelievably powerful. And Lord, we don't want to misuse it. We want to honor you with it. Because sex in the context of the relationships and the design that you've given it is life-giving. And when it's outside of that, it's life-threatening. And so, Father, I pray that you would just open our ears and open our eyes. Help us to hear you. And Lord, as we live in a culture right now that is full of um, all types of sexual expressions, I ask you, Jesus, that in this series, that with the people that are in this room, some right now are dealing with sexual addictions, some right now are living in sexual and moral relationships, some right now are practicing sexuality in a way that doesn't honor you. Father, for that reason, I pray that in this series, you would let your people go. From the, from the bondage and the slavery of sexual shame and guilt, I pray you would release us, God. Free us. And that we might be able to run after the beautiful sexuality that you've created for us. And so Jesus, we surrender this to you and we invite you in, in Jesus' name. Amen.